Hello. How are you? Good. <laughs> the modern relationship is so weird, isn't it? Because we're like, it feels very much like we should be like acting like we haven't seen each other in a year. And we haven't, but not that we haven't communicated. No. Like, no, like, been... like we talked last night, but right. it feels... Very busy, very <laughs> busy behind the scenes. Yes. In front of the scenes, not so much. We are like... You know, the 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 writers and the screen actors guild actors who are striking nothing going on up front but a lot of movement on the back end hi i'm michelle and i'm steve and this is a podcast for creatives two friends talking about the complex messy and beautiful experience that is being a creative yes and we were in solidarity with them right that is that is why <laughs> we have been off for the last two months <laughs> you are your minor credit in some, I'm sure, you know, I Love Lucy tribute show. Uh, Probably. Is what has kept us on yes. hiatus for the last two months. But we are crossing the, the, the picket lines. We are back and, and we are ready to roll. Yes. It probably wasn't the smartest idea. And we definitely didn't do this on purpose. But um, to name the episode that came before this that was released, what, three months ago? Something about saying goodbye, the art of saying goodbye. <laughs> it was a little bit of it was a little bit of foreshadowing for what was to come. It was a a pause of a goodbye, but it wasn't yeah. a it wasn't a goodbye forever. So little did we know it was going to be like into the fall and yeah, and, and ruining releases of a lot of things. It was it was foreshadowing, but it was not intentional foreshadowing. Right. <laughs> We're not that smart. <laughs> I think I you love, guys know I that. I love unintentional foreshadowing. <laughs> my favorite kind of foreshadowing so how's your body clock good i woke up at 5 30 i felt like i got so much done this morning i've never felt more prepared to come to a podcast did my mic check got my lighting vocal, set up did my vocal, vocal warm yes my vocal right, warm-ups yeah. i have water and i have a backup water and like two waters two waters extra lip gloss the time shift is I think what I need in life. I think just every so often I need to travel to a different time zone so I can kind of like get ahead and then maintain that for the next few months because I feel like my typical timeliness is just just like a little bit behind and this feels very empowering to now be a little bit ahead. Do you, because you've experienced this before, when does the inevitable trickle off happen? Usually a couple of days, but the going the other way, I, I adjusted immediately. I was like, I'm on London time. Here I am. Let's go. Yeah. Let me tell you from a consumer's uh, standpoint of watching your trip through <laughs> Instagram stories, it was a delight <laughs> at like, the, the late evening hours to be getting like the update on on everything like, definitely in the heart like it was it was great like timing of it worked perfectly for somebody who was living vicariously through you so uh uh hat tip to you on that oh so you, that like was it like prime the prime time time slot yeah because exactly i was doing that. it like before i went to bed i think on most nights so around midnight london time so that was what maybe seven or eight I was getting like maybe it was when I was like opening up Instagram but it always felt like in the heart of like I just sat down for for you know the the evening or for mm -hmm. the first time during the day mm -hmm. I got my my London fix and it was nice so 
I mean, I, I enjoyed your vacation tremendously from a consumer standpoint. I'm so glad. I want to talk about uh, one specific uh, story that you shared, one, one specific frame. Okay. Um, so it seemed like every day uh, you and Jimmy would take like a, I would imagine it's the beginning of the day photo in front of a mirror mm-hmm. uh, that looked like it was in outside of a hotel, outside of the uh, uh, the elevator. Yes. Um, and beautiful shot, beautiful architecture. Uh, but this one specific uh, one that I'm talking about, there was a third member of the photo that wasn't intended to be in the photo. And I think she realized it at the last minute and you just so happened to capture it at the right moment. But there was... Uh, a, a hotel worker, uh, maybe what do we call them, housekeeper, um, who who was uh, about to exit. It looked like the elevator, and definitely like poked her head out. Saw you guys about to take the photo, and looked like she was about to poke her head back in because she didn't want to be in the shot. But you caught her in that like, oh, what are these people doing? Look, and it was like a moment captured in time. And now I am obsessed with that. People who are in the backgrounds of other people's photos forever in time um i I, first of all did this woman make another appearance at all throughout your stay there and was there any follow-up interaction with her about this situation i really wish that there had been more interactions after that but it's interesting kind of like what your take was um and it wasn't that it was much more than that but i think that she was not a housekeeper but a uh, and again this is just i have the same information that you do because all she did was the elevator bank was there and she was about to step off and pause because she saw us and then didn't, I don't, I don't even know what happened after that because I was distracted. So who knows? But my take on it that was that she was carrying like a tray of something, maybe like delivering yeah. room service. Yeah. Um, but I, I read the look on her face to be very judgmental. Like, yeah. <laughs> what are these people doing <laughs> and like might not have been the first time she's been caught in such a situation it, that definitely felt like it was like a, she's been off this elevator before with a plate full of food and other people have been taking selfies in front of that mirror yes but what was funny was earlier that day or that morning jimmy was like if we if we end up here and there are other people who are like around we should ask them to be in the picture with us it'll be really funny and then we only really had like one in one other interaction where someone kind of like showed up right as we were like finishing it but it was it was someone who was like younger so it did it made me feel like we shouldn't interact with them on on bbc uh, news yeah bloody americans (laughs) and their selfies and mirrors Uh, but like wonderful architecture and wonderful um inspirational spots and just some real um you places it felt like i felt like it was just either well researched or um, you know, you guys just knew where you wanted to go from from being there before, but just some wonderful um, images that you captured on that trip that I think speaks to who you are as as a person. Thank you. I'd like to circle back to that, but I don't want to move on without commenting on the beautiful architectural shot that you posted yesterday. Maybe not as glamorous a city as London, but I, based on at least the one shot that you posted i'd say underrated it and i saw it and i thought wow i want to know more about this and what else is there so what's the background because i didn't ask you i figured i'd ask you today i was in uh, the notoriously glamorous city of syracuse (laughs) uh, yesterday 
I love Syracuse. That's not fair. Um, it's it's got the unfortunate for me from a personal experience. It's got the unfortunate um, reputation of of seemingly always being bad weather when I'm there. I think for all the years that I've been traveling to Syracuse, which you know for work purposes, it probably goes back about 15 years or so. I, I would say I can count on one hand how many good weather days there have been in, in Syracuse. But I got to tell you, when you hit those days just right and you get the nice weather, it is a it is a beautiful city. And in general, it's a really architecturally driven. It's a re- amazing city. It's got a nice downtown area. Um, and uh, those those buildings have sort of like this um, almost like a limestone. Some of them have you know, that that, you know, that old quality to them. So when the sun hits them, you get that sort of bright orangey brown kind of yellows mixed in um and because the buildings aren't necessarily like ridiculously tall it can be very bright downtown so we just so happened to uh to catch that after lunch yesterday and uh, uh everything just hit the lines hit everything just hit perfectly and uh it was a nice nice capture moment very nice composition whenever i visit cities bigger cities i'm just in awe of the architecture and like how things used to be built and how they're built now. And it, when I think about it too much, it almost like makes me sick just how different it is. But um, yeah, I, I forget that there are so many cities in New York that not just New York City, but like upstate where we went to school because I grew up in New York. I didn't really appreciate it. I thought just kind of like everywhere was like that. And now that I've like lived somewhere else, it's like I see the contrast so much more. It's kind of like a lost art and hopefully we'll never like completely lose it, but it we could. Yeah. And I marvel at looking back at some of the, you know, the footage that you see from, you know, the turn of the century where a lot of these cities were being built and developed and you see the rise of the skyscrapers and, you know, what was to be probably for the next, you know, 50, 60, 70 years before it, inevitably there was this revitalization of, but yeah, central New York has a lot of those, you know, when you go through Syracuse and Rochester and, and, and Utica, because of the way that the populations migrated, you know, when, when, um, you know, immigrants would come over and, 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 you know, travel their way through New York, um, and settle, you know, a lot of those cities, you know, they still have that feel to it as you walk through, through downtown and, you do feel like you're being transported back, you know, decades and decades, which is, which is special, that little element to, you know, what it was. I always have those thoughts. I don't know if you've ever been like this in certain, I'm, I'm sure you have just knowing you, but, um, a lot of times being so close to the city of Schenectady where I live, you know, you drive through certain sections like little Italy or, 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 uh, you know, uh, different areas of downtown and you just kind of marvel at like what this, city must have been like in the 30s and the 40s when you know it was in its heyday and general electric was getting set up there and sometimes you just think back to that period because it does it it does have an inspiring feel like it does have a a a a, a true you know you you almost it's almost it's almost tangible like you can feel that that connection back you know a century ago when i really like look at all those architectural details and i think about like a different time period i think People in that time cared so much to take the time to really think this out and to spend. They didn't have the machinery that we have now to be able to like manufacture, 
you know, things like, you know, even like stones and carvings and things. So it was even harder for them than it would be if we tried to do it today. And I guess what I'm really mourning is like the thought that beauty in architecture is like not worth our time and money. So why do you feel like that, you know, when, when you get these renovations, things get knocked down, like there's the obvious that it's a connection back to a period of time that you'll never get back or moments in your family. Like, you know, I can remember when, even when Yankee stadium, you know, the, the Yankee stadium two, I suppose the one that was renovated, that was, you know, demolished back in, in 2008, like even when they took it down, there was this feeling of all of these just wonderful memories that I had as a kid being in that ballpark. And then I remember going into the new one in 2009 when it was first built and being like, this is a really nice ballpark, but it doesn't feel the same. And to a younger generation, that's going to be their version of that ballpark because it's it's theirs. Is it because it's a part of the past, whether it's your your affection for the past or whether it's the memories of uh, something that feels like it was taken from you without you having a say. Cause to me, that's what it is. There's always this thing when things go away, it's like, I didn't have a say in any of that. And I think that's the part that sort of like hurts you that you're, it, it's such a cold cut. You can't get any of that back. Everything stops at that line. Yeah. Yeah. Because you kind of have a, you have a personal connection to it, even though you're not like, you weren't like funding the building, you know, if we're going to use the Yankee Stadium um, example. I mean, you did or someone in your family were paying for your tickets to go. So in a way you right. were like, you know, supporting it. But yeah, it is kind of like a weird thing that you have personal memories there. You have family or friends that have connections to it, yet you don't. It's just it's gone. I mean, it's yeah. it's truly yeah. like a, like a death in a way. And as much as I love, you know, new things and, and innovation, it's really, um, I don't know, I guess as I'm getting older, just becoming more like nostalgic and attached to these things that simply cannot be, you know, recreated. Yeah. Growing up, my grandmother lived in, in Yonkers, which is another, you know, older type city um and the and the house that she lived in always had that sort of feel to it too and they did some things to renovate it but in her basement it was a very very old type basement multiple like cut out rooms that you know had old old pantry like i mean there was a kitchen in the basement like i mean you may have grown up with some of this you know this this type too and a lot of a lot of homes that were built around the turn of the century or so, um, you know, had that type of setup in the basement. But it was, you know, cement floors and old cabinetry and old wooden cabinetry. And there were two giant phones in the basement. And whenever we would go visit, I would always find myself down there just sort of exploring and, and learning new, you know, uh, uh, kind of getting a feel for what things might have been used for 30, 40 years prior. And it's funny living in the homes that you live in now. And I understand that we could have bought an older home. Our home was relatively, you know, it's 20 something years old, but the way that things had been kind of gone about, you know, my grandmother being Italian and how she would dry roast red peppers, like she wouldn't do it in the oven, right? She wouldn't do it. You know, she would, she would bring them downstairs to what we called the boiler room in the basement and lay them on top of the boiler and roast them like, and, and 
to, to me, it's like you just left food out in the basement. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I would get in yelled a mold at zone? so bad. <laughs> yeah, like my, my wife would be on me. And I, but like you think about like the methods and the ways, and yet that was normal <laughs> for that that era. And now it's things that you're like, it's a relic. It's something that you look back on and, and you, you marvel at. And, you know, I, I find myself sometimes like when I'm cooking or when I'm doing something, I think back to the way that I remember my grandmother, you know, doing things. And, you know, I think there's just that element of remembering the past and learning from it and finding some way to carry things forward. But when it's taken from you, I think that's the part that feels very raw and open. There was, I'm trying to remember where this was. But there was like a point on the trip where I was somewhere, stuck my head in somewhere, and I'm like, I know that this is going to have an old smell. And I don't mean like gross. Like it's going to smell like like old like linoleum or, you know, like the fabric that they used on couches then. And And when I smelled it, I'm like, this makes me think of really like my grandparents' basements, both of them. I mean, I don't know what it is about maybe Italian grandparents' basements, yeah. but they were they, they should be museums because of the amount of like weird things that they there were had down there. Lines. There oh were yeah, clotheslines <laughs> hung in my grandmother's basement, like rope of clotheslines. And it's funny you you were talking about what like roasting peppers on the boiler or whatever. I mean, my mom's parents were very much like I mean they my dad's parents were born in the States. Their siblings were born in, in Italy, so they were kind of like the very first to live here. So their family still had that. But my mom like lived in Italy when she was a kid. So her parents were very much like, I would call them like super immigrants. So at their house, even though they were living in like, you know, like a Westchester suburb, they had like a full on garden. Like my grandpa was still like killing rabbits. I don't know where he got them from. I don't know if they were just like native to the area or whatever. But like, I remember being a kid and like being horrified that just like, I walked into the garage once and they were just like, two dead rabbits just like mm. sitting on something normal for them though right totally normal for them and then my family would like they had a part of the basement that was like their wine cellar so that had like a very like distinct smell that i can you know remember and they made like super sad like you know sausages yeah. that was like a whole you know different point of the year and the tomatoes i mean they were running in like essentially like an entire it's funny that you said like different rooms in the basement because my grandparents lived in such a small house. But when I think about that basement, I like, I know where all the little like zones were yeah, where they kept all these, you know, random things that they were making. And then one more just kind of like memory that really stuck with me is that they had this and talking about like old things, but that to me were like just, such a prominent part of my childhood is that they had an old rotary phone yeah. in the basement for some reason. I don't know, but it like, like that was the working telephone. And I remember being a kid and just wanting to like, you know, yeah. do the thing with your finger to make it go around <laughs> yeah. and like always getting yelled at. They're like, no, you can like, you are placing a phone call by doing that. And like, I, right. but I couldn't help myself. Long distance charges were yeah. a real thing back then. <laughs> But yeah, all of those things. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if kids today, you know, if your son, my nieces and nephews will like have their versions of that, maybe. Yeah. 
I don't know. I think that's the part that I find hard to comprehend. But yet, I'm not sure that you know our parents ended up thinking about it that way either. Like they had what they had, and then you have what you have, and it just sort of becomes, you know, your your norm. That's why, like, when you think about the development of these cities, like, you know, if you see the evolution of everything, if you've been around for that period of time, you you go with the ups and downs, and you react to the changes and what you're seeing. But when you're sort of like there you know, like you, you, you're born into it and things are happening. That is your normal. You know, I think that's what makes things, I, I think generationally so interesting with how you look at, whether it's the development of the city or something else, how your viewpoint of it ends up looking different. So Michelle, we've been uh, away for uh, about two months uh, from, from recording. And I always think the summer is that prototypical time where you're going to get into, you know, on vacation, you're going to get into a beach read or, you know, if you're camping, you know, maybe maybe you read around the camp, you know, something that allows you to sort of just unwind a little bit. And, you know, for me, that always seems to be podcasts. Um, it's just where my my uh, consumption habits have sort of evolved over over the years. And over the summer, uh, while on vacation, I listened to a podcast that was uh, produced by CNN about um, Prince called the Prince mixtape. And it was one of the more impactful podcasts on me from um, more on the professional lens, more so than I, I thought. I think I got into it thinking like, okay, I want to just, I want to listen to this because this is an easy beach listen or summer listen. And what I ended up taking out of it was much more, I think, for our realm and in, in creativity than than anything else. Uh, and I love that. I love when those types of, of moments happen where you go into something and you come out of it with something completely unexpected. Let's back up. I have never once heard you talk about Prince before. Yeah. So were you more tuning in for um, the CNN name? Because I... And I don't even know the CNN made podcast, but I love their documentaries. So is that kind of your what grabbed you or, or have you always been a Prince fan and I just never knew? Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I'm like the biggest Prince fan at all. Um, I think I think it's just he is a, a figure that I think is is appealing for for a variety of ways. There's there's a great you know mystery about him, even though we feel like we know quite a bit and, and certainly learn more after his death. Um, I'm always compelled with, with figures who are, have some mystery in their background. So this to me was sort of the gateway for me to want to get into this. And, and it, and it isn't necessarily a, a documentary, you know, look at his life, even though there are some historical elements of looking back at pieces and time, it's really more about interviews with the people who were closely with him from his, from his early days to his, his, you know, catapult in the superstardom. But I think one of the, the the main elements to me was his ability to sort of push the envelope. And I know everyone knows that, I guess, from the outset, but you really don't realize how much that that drove him. And I think how much he wanted to sound different, look different, be different, present something that most ears listening to music at that time had never heard. And yet there was some some threads to... Motown and 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 early R&B and and things that we knew but he sort of turned it on its ear and I think that's sort of the the inspirational piece to me was 
you know, we're always looking, I think, in our industry when we talk about anything in creative, right? Like, I think there's this pressure to do things differently. And, you know, people encourage you to do things differently as if you can just close your eyes and it's going to come to you. But to have the ability to sort of not just necessarily see it, and it's not necessarily clear if he saw it and knew it, but the confidence to to, to try it, um, I think to me that was sort of the, uh, the you know, the piece that with everything with him, there was a, a, a confidence that almost bordered on defiance, especially when, you know, he would get kind of wrapped up in, you know, certain lyrics that were certainly provocative that a lot of people in the mainstream challenged and he believed in what he believed in and, and, and his audience in many ways, it spoke to them because there was an element of things that they probably shouldn't have been listening to. But if you're a young person, it speaks right to you, you know, and I think that's sort of cool because, you know, when we talk about know your audience, like he's not singing to those people who are having problems with lyrics. He's not performing for those people. He's performing for the people who are going, I'm not supposed to listen to this. This isn't supposed to be for me. I want to listen to this. There was that counterculture element that followed him throughout his career, even when he changed his name into the symbol. There was that element of doing things for him and for people who wanted to act and think like that. Okay, so I know very little about Prince. So what I'm about to say is all perception. Um, so feel free to correct me. But I always got the sense that he did this extremely underrated thing, which is not so much in trying to do something different. Like you said, that's something that as creative people, we're always being told, like, you have to push, push the envelope. Right. You have to, you know, think outside the box, all of those, you know, cliche sayings. But I think what he was really doing was things that amused himself. And I feel like anytime someone does that, you know, in, in his case, he ended up being, you know, an icon. And that do doesn't always happen for any, for everyone who, you know, kind of leads with that. But I think that some really interesting things happen. Um, and I am always very amused just by other people amusing themselves. Even if I don't get it, I just have that sense of like, oh, this is clearly like an inside joke with themselves or just like, you know, with, with the bands or the partner or who's, you know, who's ever with them in the performance space. And I don't know, I, I, I have such an appreciation for that. I think with that often comes times like you have to you have to have a level of defiance to your to your craft, you know, to your art. You have to be willing to not just say you're going to put your neck out there, but to put your neck out there um, and live with the noise and the consequences that could come. But knowing that that's how that's how barriers are broken. That's how the line ends up getting moved. I mean, like his 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 lyrics gave birth to the parental advisory sticker. Like this wow. was something that I didn't know. And, and I, what was amazing to me was that I could remember I'm laying in bed on vacation. It's like 11, 1130 at night and everyone's kind of, you know, winding down for the night and I'm just listening to this last episode and I'm blown away in my head because my whole life growing up, you know, I was born in 85 and, you know, by the time I was buying albums or, or cds or whatever it is at the time like the prevent the parental advisory 
sticker was very commonplace. You know, like we grew up in an era where like, you know, language was poor language, bad language, whatever you want to call it, push, you know, was, was, was utilized quite liberally with a lot of that music. So like to see it, it was sort of like, a, eh, all right, whatever. But I didn't know that Prince was the one behind that. And, and, and it fits like if you had to pick somebody in time, he, you go, of course it was him. Like, of, of, of course he was, he was the one to do that. You know, he did things like, um, you know, uh, fought to own his own masters. Like nobody did that. I mean, you work with the music, you know, the the record label, they owned it. That's the way, you know, it, it, it sort of goes like it, it was a refreshing sort of like look into what you need to do to be in control of your craft. I think sometimes you're looking at others for inspiration and you're looking, you know, what can I do to build off of this? Like it definitely had some traits of things that, you know, we've heard in the past music musically, but by and large, he blew a wall, you know, he knocked a wall down. And I think that to me was the piece. Like, I think one thing I've learned in my career is, is that like there are rules that inspire, like rules, inspire creativity, right? Like there are, there's, because you need to know where the barriers are in order to knock them down and, and, and then, push the push the envelope basically right but like but for prince like man like when you know what you stand for when you know what you believe in there's no competition and that's the overwhelming feeling that i was sort of like that i came away with it was like he knew what he stood for he knew what he wanted and that's why i think when we look at him like there's no competition there's there's prince and then there's everybody else so he's he's never like looking around to see what everyone else is doing. He's just like, I want to do this thing, and here we go. Yeah, I think if you look at like the 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 big pop, you know, like if you're talking about the pop stars of like if we're getting into the '80s, like you're talking about Michael and you're talking about Prince. I mean, by and large, it's 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 pretty much one two, you know, however you want to sort of look at it. But I don't think I've ever confused one for the other. And I'm not talking about listening yeah. and saying, oh, who did this song? It's just very clear that like Prince did his thing and Michael did his thing. And I think that's why we we realized that like I don't think I ever saw them in competition with each other, even though they were so at the top of their games at that time. It felt like there was room for them because they just did their thing. There was no, you know in sync and backstreet boys and 98 degrees and to the common to the common listener you're going who did this one again because i still do that i don't think you mm -hmm. have that problem with 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 prince and mj so to me that was my takeaway like from from that whole podcast like certainly there were a lot of things that i learned about prince that i didn't know the overwhelming feeling walking away from that is just really having this clear understanding unmistakable in your head about who you are and what you stand for and, and almost like how liberating that is because I can, I can see the argument of being like too locked in and this is what I am. And I'm very rigid about that, but it's not, it's not putting walls around it from the outset and saying nobody else, this is what I do. It was, it was just being confident about this is who I am. So the road that I'm on wherever I go I'm going to take all of that with me and I'm going to carry that forward. And as I evolve, these principles are just going to be conveyed through how my evolution. And I, and I found that just so mesmerizing and yet it all felt like this, like everything kind of aligned mentally where, you know, when we're approaching any kind of work that we're doing or anything that, that any interactions that we have looking at, 
who you are as a person and what values you have and what you what you how you want to carry yourself like the the way that you grow creatively as a professional should sort of it should be evident you should you know it, I, I always feel like the best the best people who who end up creating content the accounts that we follow that we're just mesmerized with like they show you something and you're and it doesn't surprise you and yet you're like this is amazing like it doesn't make it doesn't feel like wow i can't believe that this person did that or i can't believe that this account created like it's just this natural progression and evolution and it's more it's more enjoyment and amazement than it is shock and surprise when you're talking about his confidence and knowing who he is and what he stands for it's that the thing that he stands for is this like fluidity and just not thinking too much about who he is and just being like following his instincts yeah i came away from this meet thinking that you know for 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 him it wasn't you know, I do this and I only do this. Mm -hmm. I, I think, I think he, he stood for pushing boundaries, you know, I think, and, and, but it wasn't like done haphazardly, you know, like I think you can oftentimes get into this, this feeling of take a chance, take a risk and do it haphazardly where it does, you feel like you're a little out of control from a creative standpoint. I felt like that was always the, the driving force behind his work is is that constant evolution um but he knew that you know he knew he couldn't produce an album and come out and basically produce an album that was pretty much in the same vein as the last one but that was his sort of his drive so i think the thing that that i took away from that is is you know not that i'm going to just change the way that i approach work or that anyone's going to just stop doing what they're doing and change the way that they produce but you know, if you truly want to grow and evolve, that has to be how you're approaching things. It, it has to be how you how you see the next step and how you want to kind of take chances and take risks. And I felt like that was sort of his his belief. You know, he knew that's what he stood for. And even though there was some some rules around, you know, the the the, the process, it never stopped the creativity from happening. So now that you've kind of had his, maybe not his voice, but like his spirit in your ear, have you done anything differently or have you like, you know, kind of walked into a meeting with like a different kind of like mindset or even thinking about in the way that you lead your team? We did a back to school piece this year, different than we've kind of done any other one. You know, I think stereotypically back to school time, everyone kind of paints the same. I mean, if you look at commercials on on TV, it's, you know, everybody's having a great time and then kids are dancing in the hallway. And I've never seen that. I've never seen it. And it doesn't mean that, like, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I don't I don't really believe that that happens. But like, it doesn't mean that it's not a nice thought. Right. I mean, like, you don't watch enough musicals. This is I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's my problem. Definitely. Um, no, but like, you know, back to school time, I think from the outset is, is yes, like parents sometimes can look forward to it, but there's a dread because there's a lot of getting things ready and getting back into routines when they kind of fell off and kids and not necessarily like they might be looking forward to it, but it might also be, Oh God, there's some anxieties about going back. And, you know, so like sometimes the things that you're presented don't necessarily match the reality and that's always been my big beef with back to school time is the, the 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 advertisements that you see on tv from target and walmart and all these other places like it doesn't often match the reality of the situation 
I think for our purposes as 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 people who are in school PR and 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 school digital public relations and communications is you always want the situation to be reflective of what's happening not necessarily like you know um highlighting the anxieties and the fears and whatnot but like doing something that brings out what people are going to expect to see on a regular basis so one of our lead creatives on our on our team um, Lindsay Quackenbush um, did a piece this year where she had come up with this concept a while back and it's and it was I thought it was brilliant at the outset which is asking teachers have you ever gotten an apple on the first day of school and I think off the off the bat it was like oh that's kind of funny like it's you know because like what where did this sort of like when did the apple become this like representation of teachers and teaching and you know, so it, it gets you thinking like, yeah, why did we pick an apple? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Right. And then it's sort of this like have teachers in 2023 ever gotten like has anybody ever gotten an apple? And so it was within the realm. It was within the the, the guardrails of what we have. But it was definitely like outside of the, the it was pushing the boundaries a little bit because it's not a prototypical back to school video of of you know in, in in many ways or a piece of like smiling kids and everyone coming in and kids getting off the buses and high fives and a lot of the the, the stereotypical or you know common stuff that we do or have done i should say when we were sort of debating this kind of like is this something is there something here i think the thing that won us over like that was like the stamp of like okay we're gonna we're gonna do let's go do this is teachers i think <sighs> It's important to showcase personalities. I think specifically fans and followers and people who are a part of a of a of a community like a school district like they're going to respond to personalities and I think sometimes with teachers you don't often get to see that outwardly. You know, students might see it but you don't necessarily get to see a lot of that sort of, you know, the honest responses and the laughter or, or maybe exasperation over like why am I getting an apple so I think we thought like if we asked this the right way you know have you ever gotten an apple have you ever eaten the apple if you got like the kind of humor and responses that we got and we ended up getting some really good answers from teachers some did get apples some had never gotten apples and it really showcased the personalities of of these teachers as a back to school piece and it was different you know it, like and it didn't stray far from what we would want to do, which is make people feel something through consuming this piece of content. It doesn't have to always be inspirational because back to school time, I think you you default to inspiration. It made people laugh. It made people feel like the faculty in this building is warm hearted and funny. And and and, you know, it, and, and I think that that's something that you can resonate with as a parent um, if your teach if your kid's teacher was featured on the video. So I thought this was one of those examples that allowed us to grow the possibilities of what we produce and yet be true to who we are um, and, and what we stand for. I love just like that powerful exercise of knowing, okay, you guys have done like a million like back to school things. I mean, or you have in your career or, you know, end of this end of the school year things. And instead of saying like, you know, what, what's going to be our spin on this thing that we always do. It's just asking that extra question of like, is there a concept that we can do that's like completely different? And yet you, it's not like you guys like, you know, made a music video. You didn't like go completely like off the rails. You still produced the type of piece that 
you know, your audience is like expecting to see, but I'm sure that they were surprised by like the route that you took to get there. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. I think, you know, what, what, what's hard, I think in any industry, when you have times of year content that you're producing is every time of year, whatever it is, has a feeling to it. You know, it's funny, my wife and I were talking this morning about decorating for fall versus decorate decorating for Halloween. And I was just like, can I be honest? I'm like, I hate Halloween decorations. I think it's ridiculous. And, and she was in agreement and I'm like, but because here's the difference, there are seasons like fall has a feeling to it. Halloween has a feeling to it and it's usually one day and then it's over with. I'm like, so the thought process of decorating for one day and then having to take it down. And then she was like, you know, but Christmas is also a day too. I'm like, right. But it's a season. Like there's, there's an element of like the arc to it. Like every, everything has a feeling to it if there's a season. And I think for back to school, there's a season and that season is usually tied around new beginnings and, and, and inspiration and, and, and fresh starts and all these, and all of that is true, but you can do that every year. And after a while, it feels very derivative. It feels very lean back on what I did last year, or I did this or, and I think the hard part sometimes is to capture the feeling, but doing it in a different way. You know, there was nothing about that Apple piece that, that made people feel any differently than they would have if they were consuming a prototypical back to school piece. But the difference is, is, is that you were able to showcase the personalities of the teachers, which is something that doesn't often get done. You took something that is uniquely tied to the first day of school and turned it on its head. Um, you know, so there was, there was a lot of, 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 of elements of things that were associated to that time period. And yet you didn't do it any disservice. Um, and I think that's the that's the definition of pure boundary pushing is something that is, OK, this feels right. This feels good. This is different. But it's very true to to the brand. And true to your brand is not putting up Halloween decorations. No, I don't I don't I don't get that at all. Like, it's just very weird to me to be looking at Halloween decorations on October 2nd. Like, you know, October you're just like, 2nd, you have, yeah, the, pe the August put, people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's just like you walk into a you know Target and everything is just, you know, orange and black and purple became a Halloween color. Oh, yeah. You notice that? I, I don't. Why is that because it's complimentary or is it just like, why did purple get into this mix? I don't know, but I kind of like the purple. I feel like it's a nice accent to the, I feel like they, to the Halloween I feel like vibe. They, I feel like they stuck it in there just because orange and black can be very bland, mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel like it for me. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit at all. I figure you got to be orange and black. You know, it's like Christmas, like you have red or green, mm -hmm. you know, they're not just sticking, you know, they're not sticking like, you know, yellow in there yeah. or, or you yep. know, so I feel like it's like they, this was like an evolution thing over the last couple of years that you're like, I'm not letting people get away with this. <laughs> We're not doing purple decorations for Halloween. That doesn't fly. When you were talking about how you don't like Halloween decorations, the the first like image that came to mind is you like attempting to put up like cobwebs and then having to take them down and just being like, it, like it, it ruining your whole life. Yeah. I, you know, because we've talked about inflatable decorations in the past. That's oh, another yeah. hol holiday that has a lot of inflatable things that are 
unnecessarily put up. I remember being terrified as a kid going trick or treating and seeing like a scarecrow on a on a chair outside of somebody's front door when you're about to ring it. And then the person like it's an actual person who stands up to try. What is that? Like, I'm sorry. I get that it's supposed to be a very scary time of year, but. I think when you're going that far to sit there for hours on end just to scare seven or eight year olds, that's I got a problem with that. I had a scary moment the other day with uh, a tweet that I sent out and then I wondered if I had like these like special powers that I could do this, like did it finally find me in life? So I've been finding myself listening to uh, recently over the last like, I would say like month, a lot of Jimmy Buffett. And oh, not, God. I yeah. don't know if I, if I want to be friends anymore. I know. I know. <laughs> Wait, it gets better. So it's it's Jimmy Buffett for me. Has, I've, I've always been fine with – I like Jimmy's music. But it's he's he is the prototypical artist that I have never said, you know who I'm going to play? Jimmy Buffett. It's always been something that comes up on Shuffle. And I'm like, oh, I forgot how much I love Finns. Or, oh, God, I forgot how much I love Cheeseburger in Paradise. But I've never been like, I'm going to play a little Buffett today. Well, I don't know if this is just about being in my late 30s and, and, and wherever I am in life. But I had found myself throughout the month of August, like intentionally playing Jimmy Buffett music. And I tweeted it out <laughs> that I've reached I've reached the age where I now intentionally listen to Jimmy Buffett. And then two days later, Jimmy passed away. And I was like, oh, God, like you're responsible, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's like this was it. Like I, like I, I've arrived at this moment in my life and I said something about it and the stars aligned and then Jimmy died. And I, I was like, Oh my God, like, do I, is this like a thing now? Like, you know, is this, do I have to like be smart about names that I'm saying or things that I'm tweeting out because I can't live with that kind of pressure. Right. I feel like you I, somehow cosmically played a hand in Jimmy Buffett's death. Like maybe it was like one of those things that like, you know, in stories, you know, like someone can't pass away or the people can't get together until like a lesson is learned. And maybe like Jimmy Buffett knew that like you had to like accept his music into his, into your life before he could be like, okay, Steve's on board now. My work is done. <laughs> I can go peacefully now. Yes. <laughs> I think that's what happened. You know what my biggest fear of this whole thing was, was getting all these parrot heads angry with me because inevitably I'm sure Buffett's name was being searched on Twitter and there's that tweet just chilling there from not 48 hours before. And it definitely wasn't like a, I love Jimmy Buffett. It was the way I wrote it was very much like a, I don't know what I'm doing here, but here I am kind of thing. And I thought people were going to get very angry with me. And that was my big fear for about 24 hours after his death that I was going to get all these Jimmy Buffett fans coming after me. I'm sorry to tell you that I hate his mute. Like, have you been ever been to a Margaritaville? No, no, Restaurant. we've got a lot of Margaritavilles in the capital region. <laughs> okay, so they have... Shockingly, we have a other <laughs> chain restaurant up here. <laughs> so they actually have a Margaritaville hotel up in, like in Jack's Beach, close to where I live. But this story is centered around the Margaritaville that is on CityWalk in Universal Studios, Orlando. And... 
this was years ago, I think maybe Jimmy and I must have been there with like his sisters or, or someone else. And we were, Jimmy and I are not big ride people. So a lot of times when we go to theme parks, we're like, you know, just getting drinks or doing something else. But for whatever reason, we ended up in Margaritaville, the restaurant, and they do this thing where they have like a fake volcano and like every 15 minutes it goes off and then they play a song, like one of his songs. Yeah. Maybe volcano. That's a song. Oh, that's a song. Okay. So maybe that's what it was. But like, I mean, first of all, just like that whole vibe is not like, it's like yacht rock. Is that like Mm -hmm. kind of the, Mm -hmm. his, his genre. So the like beachy, the, the timpani, is there like a timpani drum thing in in a lot Feeling of Feeling hot, hot, oh, hot, yeah, like, like, that, like that thing? I think yeah. it's just like... It's kettle like, drums. Kettle drums. Okay, so yeah. I think it's timpani. like... it's Timpani is a drum, isn't it? Am I saying it wrong? I believe... I, I, isn't the timpani... It is a drum, but isn't it like... Oh, more, more like, like a xylophone. A, like orchestral kind of... I think it's a... I think it's in the percussion family. A xylophone. But you're, but you're right. It's not, I don't think it's like a drum. Maybe. <laughs> we'll, we'll look it up. Um, but I think it's just like the whole vibe is like, it's way too relaxed for me. I need, yeah. <laughs> I need it to be like a little bit more uptight and then maybe I, I'd be on board. But I have to tell you being in that restaurant, I was like, I am never stepping foot in one of these places again. This is like hell for me. Yeah. Like yeah. every 15 minutes they're playing one of his songs and they're pouring like these crappy drinks and just no, I'm yeah. all, I'm all out. I'm sorry. Jimmy, rest in peace, but no. If you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media. Tag us at Pod4Creatives and let us know what stood out to you. What other boy bands do you like? <laughs> I'm big on new kids. I will always be a new kids. Uh, really? A new kids boy. Yeah, for not, sure. Not me. I felt like I was, um, again, talking about like never being on time for anything. Um, I don't think my parents like let me listen to New Kids on the Block until I was kind of like really too like then it was like past they were done by the time I was like old enough to be picking my own music so I think I really came into like you know maybe like you know I don't know what age you start buying your own CDs like middle school sixth seventh eighth grade so I kind of came right into like the Backstreet Boys yeah coasted right into that yeah yeah no, I will always I will always rank new kids ahead of any other boy band. <laughs>